0: Welcome to All About Agatha, the podcast dedicated to reading and ranking every single mystery novel written by the queen of crime, Dame Agatha Christie. I am Kemper Donovan, and I am doing something a little different on this episode. I will be playing The Hunt a Killer murder mystery game based on The Mystery of Hunter's Lodge by Agatha Christie. Now, my much beloved and late partner, Catherine Brobeck, and I did cover the mystery of Hunter's Lodge years and years ago in one of our earlier episodes of the podcast. This is a Poirot short story that Agatha Christie wrote in the early 20s. This is one of the first Poirot stories she wrote. It was among those selected to be published in the first Poirot short story collection, Poirot Investigates, which was first published in 1924 in the UK and in 1925 in the US. And in this case, the US publication may be the more important one because I do not think it is a coincidence that the Hunt Killer people who create murder mystery games and all sorts of other game experiences based on source material from various authors, I believe they also do some original games as well. I do not think it is a coincidence that The Mystery of Hunter's Lodge the game they chose as their source material, recently came into the public domain in the United States. That said, this game has the official blessing of Agatha Christie Limited. So I'm in no way suggesting that the Hunter Killer people are doing something that the Agatha Christie estate does not condone. They, in fact, do condone it that is verifiable (laughs) and I think really interesting. But I don't think that it's a coincidence that this is one of those stories that did enter the public domain in the United States, not in the UK, in the last couple of years, since these stories are becoming the sort of thing that potentially people could play around with outside of the estate's purview. Now, there is still the issue of trademark. This is actually something that I'm curious about. Many of you may remember that I went to law school. Copyright law was always one of my favorite specialties within the law since it does touch on issues of creation and creativity. So I'd love to actually figure out what the deal is with the public domain status of some of these Agatha Christie properties, which are coming into the public domain in the United States as each year passes. In the U.S., it's 95 years after the book was originally published. So, for example, The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, published in 1926, was released into the public domain in the United States in 2022. You have to round up for titles published in the middle of the year, which is most titles. So in practice, it ends up being 96 years, really. And this year, as of January 1st, 2023, the Big Four entered the public domain in the United States. None of these titles will enter the public domain in the United Kingdom until 2046, which is 70 years after Agatha Christie's death. That is how the copyright law works in the UK as opposed to the U.S., If any of you out there are lawyers or have some expertise in copyright law and how it works in the United States, in the United Kingdom, especially in tandem with trademarking, because I know that various aspects of Agatha Christie's work has been trademarked, um, I'd just be really curious to learn about how that all works and as usual I will of course happily share what I learn with the rest of you. But in any case, whatever the reason the Hunter Killer people decided to go with the Mystery of Hunter's Lodge as the source material for their Agatha Christie themed game and to give them their credit, it is also a particularly apt short story for a game in which the player or players are going to take an active role. I'm not going to do a plot summary of the mystery of Hunter's Lodge. If you'd like to listen back to that episode, it is findable on our podcast feed. You have to scroll all the way back to December 1st, 2016. That is when Catherine and I published our Mystery of Hunter's Lodge episode. But I will just note by way of reminder that this is the story that opens on Poirot having influenza. The great flu epidemic of 1918 was still a recent memory when Christie wrote this story which means that Hastings has to go in his stead and play the role of investigator. And of course, Hastings makes a mess of it and has no idea what he's doing. But what a great setup for a game in which you, the player, have to help poor Hastings figure out what's going on. Even though I'm not going to do any sort of an involved plot summary of the Mystery of Hunter's Lodge here, I'm fairly certain that I will be spoiling this short story at several points in this episode. So if you haven't yet read, the Mystery of Hunter's Lodge, pause the episode and do so, because I think you'll get a lot more out of witnessing me fumbling my way around (laughs) this game, if you're familiar with the story. But spoiler alert, this story quite famously ends with the murderous culprits, Roger and Zoe Havering, not being brought to justice for a lack of proof, but then in a final paragraph suffering one of Christie's best extrajudicial fates by dying in a plane crash. This is just noted in Hastings's sometimes blasé offhand way that, oh yeah, well, they got theirs because they died in a plane crash, so all's well that ends well. (laughs) It's a great short story, but it's a simple one. There are not a lot of characters. It has a low page count, and I think it's a great story to choose to build out from. I think that if you chose a more involved story, a game like this would get overwhelming because quite frankly, as I look at the contents of this box in front of me, I'm already overwhelmed. So we're off to a good start because I think this really was a good choice on the part of the Hunt a Killer people. Final point before I get started, and I mentioned this at the end of my last episode, I am not being paid to play this game right now. And have you all witness me <laughs> playing this game? I'm not being paid for this episode, but the Hunt Killer people did reach out to me and ask me if I would like a free box <laughs> so that I could play the game and do exactly what I'm doing right now. Share the experience with all of you like minded mystery fans who, of course, then might choose to go on and buy the game yourselves or buy another of their games. And I'd be thrilled if you did that. I know the Hunt a Killer people would be thrilled if you did that, but I just want to be upfront about that from the start, that there is a sponsored element here to this. For that reason, even though I have no problem spoiling The Mystery of Hunter's Lodge by Agatha Christie, the short story, I will do my best not to spoil or at least majorly spoil the Hunter Killer game, The Mystery of Hunter's Lodge, based on Christie's short story. My goal here is to share the experience of playing one of these live game experiences based on a Christie short story, which you can then enjoy for yourselves if you so desire. Quite honestly, before I was contacted by the Hunt a Killer people, I did have this game on my radar and I was considering buying it. So <laughs> I guess they lost a sale by reaching out to me. But hey, I think we can all turn this into a win win situation. As I dive into the game itself and I'm a little unclear what this episode is going to be. This is a little bit like the audio equivalent of those YouTube videos of people playing video games. I know that there's an entire subgenre of viewers on YouTube who love doing that, who love watching certain people play video games. And then, of course, there's a whole subgenre of just watching people do all sorts of random stuff like opening up gifts, etc., etc. I hope that this is going to be a little bit more focused and on point and cohesive than that. <laughs> but you never know. <laughs> I'm going out on a limb here. I'm, I'm taking a little bit of a risk, but Catherine and I did talk about doing an episode like this, and this will officially be the million and first time that I find myself wishing Catherine were still here because she played these sorts of games much more often and I think much better than I do. I've done a few escape rooms with friends in the past, but I'm not a gamer in any way whatsoever. I don't play video games and I don't do much of these sorts of games either, these live game experiences. I played board games when I was a child. I now have children, so I play board games with my children, but I'm not even all that much of a board game person. There are certainly bigger board game people than I. So this should be interesting. And as I Open up this big wooden box here, which I mentioned at the end of the last episode, reminded me a little bit of the boxes that get delivered to each of the characters in Glass Onion. (laughs) Let's hope that I fare better than those characters. As I open up this box and I peruse the game manual, which is the first thing I'm looking at, I see that the game apparently is meant to take four plus hours. (laughs) Have no fear. I will not be playing this game in real time with you. This is not going to be one of my three to four hour long episodes. I will condense this experience for you as makes sense. But I have a feeling I will actually be trying to figure this out for at least a couple of hours because I'm not that good at these sorts of games. I'm not that fast. So it says it takes four plus hours. It requires one player or more, and the player should be 14 years old or more. So, okay, (laughs) I can do this. And right here on the cover of the manual, we have the the little lowercase a logo imprint of Agatha Christie Limited. So again, this is an official Agatha Christie game here. Agatha Christie's signature as well. We all know exactly what that looks like appears on the back of the manual. I'm getting excited. I think maybe I should pipe in some light hijinksy music here just to rev things up a bit. Ooh, maybe that was a bit too hijinxy. Let's go for something a little less distracting. Okay, great. All right. So, what do we have here? So many papers. Oh, and I'm already dropping stuff. Oh boy. Okay. Well, I think that what I should probably start with is these two letters. One of them written by our dear Hercule Poirot himself and the other by Captain Hastings. I'm not going to read out all of the documents here. It would take too long and it would be really boring, but I think that these two documents are foundational to the game. And I think it'll give me a good baseline for explaining what's going on and if and how I solve the mystery. So let's start With Poirot first The letterhead at the top says Monsieur Hercule Poirot 14 Faraway Street, London, United Kingdom That is the earlier address Of Monsieur Poirot, I believe And it is dated The 17th of September, 1923 The Mystery of Hunter's Lodge Was indeed first published In 1923 in the UK I like it My dear Hastings I am writing this letter in regards To the murder of Mr. Harrington Pace Alas, I have come down with a bout of influenza and must remain in my bed for rest. While I, Hercule Poirot, the world's greatest detective, am often the one who discovers the identity of the murderer or murderers, I am unable to investigate in person. I suggest you find yourself an assistant to aid you in your investigation to discover the killer. As you have no doubt learned by my example, always observe a room and look for any item that appears out of place. Study the official documents carefully for clues. These documents may include witness reports, military reports, and criminal records. Searching bedrooms, personal belongings, and the grounds at large can always offer clues to the murder. I know that you are acquainted with one of the family members, Roger Havering's wife, Zoe, but do not be swayed by past connections. Interview everyone in the hunting lodge and take careful notes during your time with them. You should be seeking out the means, motive, and opportunity of the killer. A suspect in possession of all three is almost certainly our culprit. Evidence you find may even be cleverly encoded in a variety of ways. I have spotted one such code in my cursory examinations. I know you are not an experienced cryptographer, but perhaps you've come across this during your time with the military. I have included, for your benefit, a hint on how to solve it. Most importantly, remember it is the little gray cells on which one must rely. I have faith, mon ami, that you will find all the evidence needed to reveal the true culprit of this heinous crime, your friend, Hercule Poirot. And on the back of this letter is a little explainer on how to decode a message that consists of a bunch of letters that look like nonsense with a keyword. It's way more involved than I thought it was going to be. Uh, I'm already very intimidated and worried about this. (laughs) Let's move on to Captain Hastings' letter. This is also sent from 14 Faraway Street and is dated the 17th of September, 1923. Hello, detective. Sincerest apologies for writing to you on such short notice, but I am in urgent need of your help. I received a telegram in the early morning from an old acquaintance, Zoe Havering, who explained that the distinguished Harrington Pace was discovered dead in his estate yesterday morning under mysterious circumstances. Usually, my mentor, the great Hercule Poirot, would address the matter quickly and successfully. Unfortunately, he is currently suffering from a bout of influenza and has only been able to offer the briefest of absorbances on the case. I would be remiss if I neglected to note my nervousness. I have assisted and chronicled many of Monsieur Poirot's cases, but this is my first without his keen eye. However, that also makes it a chance to prove myself. As I sift through the evidence, though, I realize this case may be too complex for me to solve on my own. Monsieur Poirot recommended I find my own assistant, which is why I have turned to you. This parcel contains all the evidence I have gathered from the suspects, the crime scene, and Mr. Pace himself. This includes previously marked blueprints where I have added more annotations about the scene of the crime, what pieces I could find of a shredded check discovered near the body, and a mysterious plea for help that I discovered in, of all places, the mouth of a taxidermied wolf. There is also a strange burned paper from the kitchen fireplace I found alongside some curious downy remains and a ring belonging to Mr. Pace. Finally, I've also included a letter from Monsieur Poirot in which he has outlined his illuminating deductive techniques that may help you with the case. I suspect there are additional clues hidden behind a lock I have also included, to which I unfortunately have not been able to discover the code. Nevertheless, I'm confident any information within will prove useful. Men who meet violent ends often keep violent secrets, and I believe Mr. Pace may be hiding something relevant behind that lock. If you could find the combination, we should have a much clearer picture of the man and hopefully illuminate the identity of his killer. In analyzing evidence, I always remember what Monsieur Poirot once told me everything must be taken into account. If the fact will not fit the theory, let the theory go. With the evidence I've gathered and your detective skills, I am hopeful we will be able to catch the killer together and not only bring about justice, but perhaps climb up a rung on the ladder towards Monsieur Poirot himself. Forever grateful, Captain Arthur Hastings. What a lovely letter from our Captain Hastings. Well, there is indeed a compartment in this wooden box that is behind a little combination lock. It requires three numbers to be entered in to open it. And that is going to bother me. So I'm actually going to try to open that lock first. It's probably not how you're supposed to play this game, but it's already irritating me that I can't get into that part of the box. So in this manila folder, I found a piece of paper here that is from J&J Thomas Construction, established 1903. The date here is the 26th of March, 1923. So we're about six months before the murder of Mr. Harrington Pace, and this is a note written to Mr. Harrington Pace, and apparently it has to do with this land that was surveyed on Mr. Pace's request, which he was going to purchase and he has not followed through on the purchase. And J&J Thomas Construction is getting anxious about this. And there is a little handwritten note at the end of this typewritten missive from J&J, and it says, wally says not to go through with it and then we have a number of letters written in a row that are just nonsense g f w u k c s o and the name wally is underlined so based off of the little decryption primer that poirot gave on the back of his letter i'm going to guess that this is the code here that needs to be broken for purposes of opening up that compartment so i'm going to try to do that right now using Poirot's example. Let's see if I can do it. All right. Well, I think I decoded those nonsense seeming letters, but it is not helping me (laughs) open that hidden drawer. So I am going to start sifting through these documents here. They really did retain a lot of Christie's story. The victim is the same. It's Harrington Pace. We still have this married couple here, Zoe and Roger Havering, the nephew and niece-in-law of Harrington Pace. In Christie's story, they were the culprits, but I have no idea if they are in this version. And that's pretty cool, actually. I love that uncertainty. I don't really feel like I have much of an advantage being familiar with the short story. We also have the character of Mrs. Middleton, who is the housekeeper at Hunter's Lodge. She, too, appears in Christie's short story. So that's four for four. But then we also have a private Claude Bailey, who was a guest at Hunter's Lodge when this all went down, and a private Ben Davenport, another guest at Hunter's Lodge. So those are two new characters. I am going to read through the witness statements of all five of these people. Obviously, Mr. Harrington Pace did not make a witness statement since he is our victim. So let me do that right now. So I've read through these witness statements and actually there is another character added that would be the groundskeeper, Mr. Wallace Pearson. So we have Roger and Zoe Havering, Agnes Middleton, the housekeeper, Wallace Pearson, the groundskeeper, and then these two soldiers... Private Claude Bailey, who is an Englishman, a little bit of a lower class accent that he tries to hide during his interview with Hastings, and an American, a Private Ben Davenport, who it is implied by several of these witnesses, has a heritage somewhat different from the rest of them. It seems that he actually is a Native American. Based on an envelope addressed to him, Private Davenport seems to belong to the Choctaw tribe specifically. So that's interesting. The blocking of the murder and the way that it plays out is also different from the way it plays out in Christie's text. Mr. Harrington Pace is killed in one of the common areas downstairs in Christie's text where there are guns on the wall and one of those guns is used to shoot him. In this version of the story, Mr. Harrington Pace is shot in his bedroom around 1.30 in the morning. And all these characters are in and around the area and any of them could have done it. So when it goes to means and opportunity, I think that they're pretty much on an equal playing field. But motive, of course, is the trickiest of these elements to parse out. And I'm probably being influenced by Christie's text here, but it does seem that Roger Havering had some sort of a scheme, a business scheme that he wanted his uncle to finance. So depending on what happens to Harrington Pace's money now that he is deceased, that is a potential motive. There also seems to be some animus between Harrington Pace and Private Ben Davenport, the Native American soldier. Harrington Pace was apparently quite derogatory about his ethnicity. So that's an indication of some rancor between the two of them. But that's about all I have after perusing these witness statements. I am now going to move on to some of the other documentation I have here, because there's a lot of it. (laughs) I'm about a half hour into this exercise now. I'm going to take a look at the initial report of investigation, which describes the state of the body as it was found. I probably should have read this first. Let's see if I find out anything interesting here. Okay, so this is interesting. Apparently, judging by the state of rigor mortis, the time of death is estimated to be sometime between midnight and 1.30 in the early morning hours of the 16th of September, 1923. Most of the witness statements said that they heard a shot at 1.30, so now I'm wondering if the time of death wasn't much earlier. Timing is often such a key element to solving a Christie mystery. Also, this is really weird, but Harrington Pace sustained a single gunshot wound to the head, specifically the left temple, which was the killing blow, and feathers were discovered in and around the wound and also inside the barrel of the gun that was found on the grounds of the lodge and confirmed to be owned by Harrington Pace. So that's the gun that was used. Feathers, very, very strange. We're told that there was a ripped check scattered across the bed of the victim when he was found. And we are given that ripped check in an envelope Which means that we have to put it together as a little jigsaw puzzle it's a pretty easy jigsaw puzzle but i have to say it's quite pleasing to put this together i'm doing it right now as i sit here chatting with you all (laughs) yeah i really do kind of feel like i'm doing this with other people even though i am totally alone here in my little work area late at night talking to myself like a crazy person putting together the jigsaw puzzle pieces Of a check from the Bank of Britain, date 15th of September, 1923, for 80,000 pounds. Harrington Pace has signed this check. Pay to the order of... It's blank. We do not know who this check was meant for, but in the memo is written the word redemption. Redemption. Hmm. Okay. The plot thickens... And check out a few more items here. We've got a poster here of a play that was put on in the Grand Guignol Theater. Love that. Perhaps a little nod there to the last seance and some of Christy's Grand Guignol touches in her earlier work. This play is called Disparate Shame, and one of its stars is Zoe Crabb. But then interestingly... One of the more minor players listed here on this poster is Agnes Middleton. So I'm going to guess that Zoe Crabb is the maiden name of Zoe Havering. And this means that Mrs. Havering and Agnes Middleton knew each other before because this play was put up at the Grand Guignol Theater from Friday, the 10th of December to Sunday, the 12th of December 1920. So three years before the events of the shooting. Interesting. Also, 10th of December is circled. And now I'm wondering if that might be a clue to the numbers that I have to put in to that little combination lock, so that I can open that lower compartment in the box, which is driving me crazy. Anyway, on the other side of this poster, there's a handwritten letter, which looks to be from roger to zoe although it does not say dear zoe it just says darling so i'm going to read this letter give me a sec all right so in this letter roger is basically just saying that he doesn't remember what happened he was really drunk by the time he went to speak with his uncle I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that because this is not written specifically to Zoe, that he is writing this to Agnes Middleton, who was his true beloved. Now I'm going to spoil a major element of Christie's story, and it's the big trick of her short story, and it's quite a Christie-ish trope. Agnes Middleton and Zoe Havering in Christie's story are one and the same person. Zoe Havering is a former actress. and she's pretending to be her own housekeeper for purposes of giving herself an alibi because she is the one who actually shoots Harrington Pace and she and her husband are working together so that they can inherit his money because they have financial difficulties. It doesn't seem like this twist has been retained in this game because based on the witness statements, it seems as though Zoe Havering and Agnes Middleton appeared together. That they have both been in the same room as two discrete people. So I'm just trying to parse out what is going on here. It's very, very interesting. This is fun, or at least I'll say that it's not not fun. <laughs> mm. Hello, listeners. I'd like to tell you about a new history podcast out there in the world called The Art of Crime, which is about unlikely collisions between true crime and the arts. The first season alone examines authors like Arthur Conan Doyle, Patricia Cornwell, and Robert Louis Stevenson. Season one is titled The Unusual Suspects, Artists Accused of Being Jack the Ripper. It profiles six renowned artists who have fallen under suspicion as the Whitechapel murderer. How's that for an intriguing premise? The Art of Crime covers an array of artistic media, the worlds of costume design, theater, music halls, poetry, and painting, but fans of books in general, and crime writing in particular, will find a ton to enjoy here. If you are the kind of listener who is fascinated to learn that legendary stage actress Ruth Draper inspired the character of Carlotta Adams in Lord Edward Dies, or that the notorious Lindbergh kidnapping hangs over the plot of murder on the Orient Express, then this podcast is for you. So subscribe today, wherever you get your podcasts, and make sure to visit www.artofcrimepodcast.com. Okay, I've reviewed a few more of these documents. So one of these documents is a menu for the dinner on the 15th of September, which is Harrington Pace's final dinner. He died early the next day between midnight and 1.30. And we have this menu written out by our housekeeper, Agnes, with notes written on it by Zoe, who is more or less the lady of the house here. And on the other side of the menu is a note written by Agnes and then a response by Zoe. And there is a message encrypted in this menu and these notes. And it's a very simple encryption. And it is actually the same encryption that Tuppence Beresford cottoned onto in Postern of Fate, of all books, where a menu also figured into the proceedings. I am not going to go into detail as to how the encryption works or what it says. I don't want to spoil the game for anyone who might want to play, but it definitely points to some potential intrigue here on the part of Agnes and or Zoe. Suspicious for sure. There's also a cutting from the Derbyshire Gazette. On the 14th of September, 1923, the lead article is Harrington Pace, Successful Businessman and Hero to Fallen Soldiers. This article is all about his charitable endeavors as to veterans of the war, but it also mentions his unusual affinity for numerology, an esoteric study of numbers that are believed to possess supernatural properties. Well, Harrington Pace and Madonna both... But I think that is going to have to figure into the combination code for that drawer within the wooden box that I still cannot access. Uh, There are a bunch of things on the backside of this newspaper clipping that I imagine are going to be significant somehow. Agony Ant, a little advice column, an ad for a typewriter, another ad for a detachable mustache guard for the dapper man. I wonder if that's a little nod to Poirot. By the way, the address of the Hunter's Lodge, where Harrington Pace lived and where he was killed, is 121 Stiles Avenue. Thought you'd appreciate that. We have another sort of love letter here from a woman to seemingly one of the soldiers. I think that this might be Agnes, who's talking about having done something bad, but she's protesting her greater innocence. Oh, boy. I'm getting a little lost here, people. I'm I'm getting submerged here in this sea of clues. We have what looks to be some translations of certain words into the Choctaw language that Private Davenport speaks. These translations can be used to help decode a letter that Private Davenport seems to have written to a family member back in the United States. He uses several of these terms in the letter. This letter just cuts off seemingly in the middle of a sentence. It seems like it was written in haste. It's all very disturbing and atmospheric. We also have a floor plan. Of course, we have a floor plan, quite a big floor plan, actually. My God, you can hear me unfolding it here. Of the first floor and the second floor of the house, we see where everyone was situated, where Harrington Pace was found. The last class of documents I have yet to tackle are military records. So I'm going to do that now. I am praying for some illumination here, but I don't think I'm going to get it. Well, these are a bunch of records pertaining to Claude Bailey, who seems to have a checkered history in the military, in his wartime service. Many instances of insubordination. We actually have a few more documents here. I thought I was done, but I'm not. It seems that Roger Havering was under investigation by Scotland Yard for check forgery, stealing an automobile outside... The Blue Boar Pub. Ho oh, ho, the Blue Boar. That would be the pub in St. Mary Mead. <laughs> I believe there's also a Blue Boar in King's Abbot in the murder of Roger Ackroyd. He was arrested during a bust of an illegal chuck-a-luck event. Oh, the notes there are interesting. Havering suggestively claimed that his lucky numbers were 1012 if I wanted to use them for myself. Well, 1012 is the 10th of December. Which would be the opening night of that play, i.e. the night that he met his beloved Zoe or perhaps the night that he met his beloved Agnes. That is my only interesting conspiracy theory that I feel like I've been able to glean from these documents. I'm going to hold on to it for dear life. Oh, we have another write up here for fighting at the London pub, the Blue Boar. Boo! That should be the St. Mary Mead pub. He was also arrested outside Westminster Abbey. The notes say Havering drunkenly explained that he wanted to pray inside the abbey so he could ask god to make his debts disappear. And it seems that Harrington Pace reluctantly cleaned up a lot of these messes for his nephew. Interesting. All right, I've got one final document here, which is a diary that is the property of Zoe Havering. And we have diary entries here that date from the 1st of September 1923 to the 16th of September 1923. So I'm going to peruse this diary and see if I can come up with anything interesting. Well, the diary was interesting. It seems to be directing me to look at this banner that came in the box, which was apparently hanging up in the hall at Hunter's Lodge. Zoe mentions it in her diary as having something to do with Harrington Pace's obsession with numerology. So I'm hopeful that the banner will have some sort of a clue to that combination lock. Alas, that banner did not help me. (laughs) I have reached the point where I am now going to have to forage for some hints online from the Hunt a Killer people. I knew it was going to come to this. (laughs) Okay, so figuring out the combination to unlock this drawer was insanely difficult. I never would have gotten there. I basically just had to look up the combination lock online. I have no shame. So among the documents in this drawer, we get the last will and testament of Harrington Pace. And you know what? We're getting dangerously close now to the end of this game. I am not going to tell you what is in that last will and testament. I am not going to describe any of the other goodies that I found now that I have accessed this drawer. I feel like that would be too spoilery. I would hate for anyone who might be interested in actually playing this game to feel that they couldn't because I had told them everything. And fortunately for you, I'm absolute rubbish (laughs) at playing games like this. So I don't think I've told anyone anything all that useful. I'm just going to sift my way through these documents and try to muddle on through to a solution. And I will return to you all when I am on the other side of it for some final thoughts. All right. Well, I certainly did not solve it. I didn't even guess it. (laughs) Suffice to say that the solution is very different from Agatha Christie's The Mystery of Hunter's Lodge. And I really love that. I love that Christie's text was used as a jumping off point and that you can be familiar with that short story or never have read it. And it doesn't matter for the playing of this game. If anything, it probably makes it a little bit harder because it was difficult for me not to think of the short story as I was sifting through all these documents. And it's best to go in with a blank slate, a completely open mind, given how complex and convoluted delightfully convoluted this game is. There are so many red herrings here, listeners. So many false trails of evidence, dead ends. There's this great letter you get to read at the end from Poirot explaining the solution, and I am very humbled. (laughs) I am really impressed with the level of detail here and the quality of materials as well. This was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be, And even though I did not equip myself particularly well, I had a really good time trying. And I have to imagine that is what the makers of this game set out to do. It's really interesting. It's an experience that is akin to, tangential to, the reading of a puzzle mystery, but it is different. Those written clues, textual clues that Christy excelled at inserting into her texts are not, for the most part, the clues that are being used here to come up with a solution. This is much more of a physical clue situation in which the game player really is a detective in the moment, IRL, sifting among documents that he or she can not only read about, but see and touch. So kudos to Hunt a Killer and the mystery of Hunter's Lodge as conceived by them. No kudos for me. i hope you enjoyed that unorthodox all about agatha episode always good to try something a little different right broaden our horizons there are a few of you listeners who have contacted me saying i really should check out some of the video game adaptations of christie's work and maybe someday soon i will do just that i have no firm plans but i'm not averse to it never say never for my next episode, I am going to be covering an Agatha Christie short story that we have not yet covered for this podcast. That short story is Manx Gold, a very unusual. Christie, short story, and an appropriate short story to be covering directly after this episode, all about a live game experience, because Manx Gold was commissioned as a promotion of a treasure hunt on the Isle of Man. I will be getting into all of this on the episode. I can't wait. I've actually been looking forward to discussing this short story for some time. So that's my next episode. And in the meantime, I would, of course, love to hear from you. You could always email me at allaboutthedame at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on Twitter at allaboutthedame and on Instagram at allaboutagatha. And if you haven't yet done so, please do give the podcast a rating and or a review wherever you are listening to it right now. It doesn't matter how long this podcast has been on the air. If I am still talking to you 10 years from now, I will still be asking you for ratings and reviews because it's always helpful and I always appreciate it. So thank you so much for that. And I'll see you next time. Bye.